Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Deloitte have published their annual Football Money League table. This is the 26th edition of the report. Um, It's the annual profile of the highest revenue generating clubs in world football. And for the first time, the report analyzes the revenue attributed to the affiliated women's teams of the Money League clubs. Money League clubs averaged revenue of 2.4 million euros last season. Barca achieved a revenue of 7.7 million euros following successes of reaching consecutive Champions League finals. The revenue is mainly generated by marketing and advertising, but it doesn't go into more specific detail, which is a little bit annoying. Uh, A little closer to home, uh, Man United at the top of the pack, uh, generating 6 million in revenue and Man City uh, a close second uh, with 5.1 million euros. And then there seems to be quite a big gap then uh, to Arsenal generating 2.2 million and Spurs uh, very close behind with 2.1 million. But I think the biggest thing to come out of the report is that there are huge disparities between the top and the bottom. Atletico Madrid, uh, 0.1 million and Leicester, 0.4 million. And obviously those are in the respective leagues with, with Barca and, and the likes of Man United. So there is a big, a big drop there. The women's professional game is still very much in its infancy. Uh, I mean, the vast majority of clubs made a loss in 2021-2022 season um, and they were spending more on wages than the club generated. Now, I mean, we've brought in an absolute icon. Uh, we thought it was only best to get in the best of the best uh, to help us dissect the report and to talk about her experiences. We welcome Maggie Murphy, uh, CEO of Lewis Football Club, um, encompassing both the men's side in the Isthmian League Premier Division and also the women's side in the FA Women's Championship. We are friends and foes in some ways, Maggie. Um, Lewis is a, is a very unique setup. It's completely fan-owned. You can actually buy a share in Lewis on their website 
website, so go and check that out. Uh, and it's the first club in the world to pay its men and women's teams exactly the same. Uh, we make no bones about the fact that we brought Maggie, Maggie onto the show to offer some big insight into what it takes to run a women's side, the challenges, the difficulties, the ambition needed, uh, and also to help us go through this this big old report. For the first time ever, welcome onto the Upfront podcast. How does it feel being in the, well, not in the booth, but uh, very much with us? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit um, embarrassed now, humbled. Don't be. Um, also, because I don't have the answers. So this is this could be a terrible <laughs> podcast. <laughs> not at all. No, no. We, we know why we brought you in. You're definitely the right person to chat to about this. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's very, very close to my heart, obviously. I think... Um, you know, it comes down to sustainability. What are we building? I think it would be so sad if everything that we're building collectively, when I say that, I mean players, coaches, clubs, media, you know, the FA. I just don't want to see what's happened in so many other leagues where things go bust um, because it would just be too heartbreaking for, for all the work that everyone's put in. So this sustainability piece and the generating the finance um, and also what growth means, because I think sometimes we just assume that throwing money at something is 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 the way to go but plenty of people have thrown money at lots of things in the past and it's not worked well maggie you've teed me up very nicely for for my first point actually i mean one of the report findings that like you said was about the the growth that we've we've seen since the euros since the the world cup in 2019 i think you know how have you found things at at lewis since the the beautiful summer of women's football last year have you sort of seen an influx in um, sort of growth of sponsorship opportunities, growth of you know players wanting to join the club, um, you know fans wanting to come down and see you guys, ticket sales. How, what was your your experience with, with Lewis so far? Yeah, so I mean, I think that we've all seen and love to see the uh, attendance figures go up in the WSL. Um, I know that the Sky Sports and the BBC viewing figures are all up as well, so that shows that there is that kind of growth tra- trajectory. Um, for us, it started off strong. You know, we had a really strong opening game of the season. It was still sunny. It was still warm. Maybe people were still in the in the kind of Euros mindset. Um, and even though our performances have probably got better over the last few months, we've seen the attendances drop off a little bit. And maybe that's where that we do a lot of work at Lewis trying to analyze the data. So we look at things like the weather, our, um, our recent performances. We look at whether Brighton is playing. We look at all kinds of data trying to figure out where the method is in the madness we can't always find it it's a little bit easier on the men's side um to find trends but i think the you know at the beginning we did have for example quite a few uh, inquiries around sponsorship but even they tailed off as well and actually we've made less sponsorship money this year than we have last year so i do wonder i do fear a little bit that the sponsors that were not already tuned in to the potential around women's football who are now tuned in are kind of just dropping the lines to the WSL clubs um, and and trying to go in that way rather than understanding that women's football is an ecosystem uh, that that we've got we've, there's only twelve teams in the WSL so not everyone could sponsor those twelve teams um, and so I'm I'm a little bit um, hesitant about the the success in a commercial sense um, and yet I want to celebrate the fact that you know I think almost every championship club has seen attendances rise as well. So it's not that it's, maybe I'm just impatient or maybe I just want more. It's it's not it's not raining money, let's just say that. I do find, you know, the, the growth that we talk about is in kind of across everything, right? So some areas of the game are growing really, really quickly and other areas of the game, 
are still waiting to catch up. And I feel like a lot of us invested in women's football are impatient because it, it's growing so quickly and you're kind of seeing opportunities that maybe are being missed because we're almost, rea- we've talked about this in other podcasts, we're reactive in women's football rather than proactive, which I find really frustrating. And it's kind of in a lot of areas of women's football, I see that. And I do wonder, is there an element of underestimating the women's game? Um, so it's always like we're on the back foot trying to get, you know, catch up or get these opportunities rather than believing in its growth and preparing kind of infrastructures and frameworks to then facilitate it or capitalize on it. Would that, like, do you agree with that? Kind of. I think that one of the, I think one of the big challenges is that we are desperately trying to create something which is investable. Um, we want everything to look great. So we spend a lot of time, you know, it's in our license requirements to be in the championship or to be in the the Super League. We have to make the ground look good. We have to make sure that we have uh, the right uh, pitch boards around the side of the pitch. We need everything to look really good so that we get the broadcast deal, so that we get the big central sponsors. And sometimes I think that can fool people into thinking, hey, this looks great. It looks looks really smart and glossy. But... You know, as, as 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 Chloe knows, you know, you only scratch the surface, and beneath there, there's so much more work that has to be done on the foundations, on, um, you know, player care, medical, uh, just coaching, just getting really great coaches involved in the game, um, and making sure that our players, all we're trying to do is make sure that our players can perform to their absolute potential. Um, but we're kind of caught in this middle of, oh, okay, well, when we get the investment then we can invest in the players. Then we can provide more medical care. But first of all, we need to get the investment and to do that, we need to look good. Uh, so I think there's, sometimes I feel the pressure for everything to look really glossy. You know, we're told, you know, if you don't uh, get more fans in, then the sponsors won't come. And it's kind of like, okay, do I, wh- where do you go? When you're trying, when you're faced with some of those decisions to make, do you focus on um, the, the kind of glossy side? And, and to be honest, I would put in, let's, let's go topical, uh, under soil heating, feels a little bit glossy <laughs> when I love what you did there Maggie <laughs> but it is right I mean like let me explain I want women's football to be the best it possibly can I feel like our female players deserve everything and more the problem is we have to figure out how to make it happen in a in a in a kind of like in a sustainable way and for every call there is to have under soil heating that's kind of like a choice that you're asking people to make around other things that that money could be spent on. It is a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? Because it feels mm. like women's football always has to prove itself in yes. order to get the investment. Mm. And you see that in the comments on social media. It's like, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to play there because it's not good. Or you shouldn't. Why, why are you calling for equal access to facilities? You're not even that good. And you're like, well, how do you expect people yeah. to improve without access to the facilities? It seems like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. I think, Maggie, you're sort of in quite a unique position, I suppose, with, with Lewis, where you don't have the sort of backing that some of the other clubs in the Championship do, you know, like Palace, uh, with a sort of mainstream, big uh, Premier League outfit that, that that does provide a certain level of investment into the team. I mean, you know, we have similar issues to you in terms of, you know, we saw a bit of a spike at the start of the season, you know, off the back of the Euros with, you know, having these great attendances. And then we had some of our games at Selhurst Park and they, again, have provided quite big spikes, but obviously being you know a part of the marketing team uh, and seeing you know speaking to other marketing departments as well they've seen very similar trends in that it drops off then to sort of the averages that we were seeing a little bit higher than last season but but not too much di- too too much difference um but obviously the, the challenges that you face are quite unique in in terms of not having that 
regular investment. I mean, how does that affect your sort of commercial strategy, how you look at growth? What are the challenges that, that you face specifically in, in that in that regards? Because you guys have been doing absolute business now for, you know, quite a couple of years and it's um, that's no mean feat. Yeah, it's, first of all, it is really, really hard, but we are hungry <laughs> and, and like because we don't have money slid across a balance sheet to us it means we have to go out and fight so every day we're going out to fight and that might be fighting for sponsorships or it might be fighting for fans right so mm -hmm. that's why we put so much emphasis on our on our match day experience that's why we put so much emphasis on our community work because you know we're very much a part of our Lewis community Lewis itself is a a pretty radical kind of interesting quirky town and so we feed into that and from it so the more that we can support our town the more that they'll come out and support us and it's kind of like a bit of an ecosystem so that does mean that we spend a lot of time myself players um staff you know being very involved in the community and not just promoting ourselves but actually giving to the community in order that there's like a um a balance so we we tr we're trying to make sure that people are invested that they'd feel and literally you know you can become an owner right so you can literally become an owner become invested in this club uh, and it doesn't matter what the scores are because that's a dangerous thing to go down for a football club to just assume that you're always going to win but you've got to create a, a, a relationship and I think that everything you see at the ground you know Chloe when you've come and played here with our, our band or the drummers or uh, you probably didn't get to eat it, but I loaded fries or, or a vegan pies and all that stuff. I wanted to. Oh, <laughs> trust me, I wanted to. But, you know, we put, I think this is one of the differences for us because we own our ground and we're super proud of our ground. We bang on about our ground and our, you know, fans and the, the band, the brass band that comes and the beach huts. Like, because we live here, this is us. This is our environment. And the, the better we can make this, the more money we make we don't have to rent a ground. So we don't have to rent somebody else's facilities. We don't have to rent somebody else's food outlets. We don't have to rent somebody else's security. Um, I've been to grounds where people, the security didn't even know who their team were playing. So you're oh right. You say, oh, hi, it's I'm like... Yeah. And it's like, they're kind of like, who are you? <laughs> um, and, and for us, that just wouldn't wash here. Cause so we're trying to be innovative and creative and create, connection but all of that because we have to because we don't have that 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 money sliding across the balance sheet so i actually think that there's um i wonder i do wonder sometimes whether there's whether it's a a good thing that we have to be so hungry um because we know that if we don't if that, if that doesn't happen then we're gone um mm -hmm. there's no well, there's no bailout right for us that's the challenge it doesn't make me sleep well at night though <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I do think as someone who has experienced many games down at Lewis, the match day experience is brilliant and you can see the work you're putting in and it does have a different vibe to other grounds. And I do think you're leading the way in terms of that match day experience, because what often comes with, you know, a big name attached to a club is the expectation that, well, you're already invested. So, it's... you know, find your seat and, and enjoy the game. There is definitely more going into the match day experience, especially off the back of the Euros. But I think like at Lewis you really do like the investment in that side of things is obvious like you can see it when you come down and it is well worth a visit by the way listeners um you should definitely get down to Lewis at some point um I was going to ask you know do you negotiate and kind of implement a commercial strat strategy that focuses on both the men's and the women's side of Lewis it's um it varies so we 
we so one of the big things everyone gets caught up on the pay equity so we have equal playing budgets between the men's side and the women's side it's not that we pay every player exactly the same um but the 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 fact is that we split our revenue equally and so of course there's a portion that goes into central roles like myself i oversee the men's side and the women's side our comms manager commercial manager they're kind of split over both um but the revenue when it comes in that means that if uh, well, traditionally, up until five years ago, well, we didn't split it equally, but, you know, the men's side were making more sponsorship money, um, but it was a decision to split. Now, when the money comes in, we're splitting and maybe the women's side is generating more funds in some areas for sure. Although the men on attendances, they spend more on beer. Uh, their attendances <laughs> are slightly higher than ours this season and uh, the, the ours on the women's side. And then, um, and so that means that there's there's kind of an ecosystem going on in terms of also succeeding together as a club um when people approach us or, or when we're approaching people on, on sponsorship we are pushing the fact that we're a unique club that we have this equality stance um and so and that's generally why people are most interested with with supporting the club and so sometimes i get a lot of um pressure to end the equal budgets i say well the women's side is bringing in more sponsorship money or now we get you know broadcast money or tv money and uh so i come under pressure pressure to invest more into the women's side but i keep on pointing out to people that the whole point of equality is equality right so yes. they're investing because we're equal we're not a women's only club um you know you've got a london city for that you've got durham you've got coventry but we are an equal club so yes they're interested in equality but that's exactly the point they're interested in equality um so and, and also i think on that point the the reasons that people often give me to increase the 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 women's side of the club or you know in terms of the pay are exactly the same reasons that were used against women for decades and decades and decades you know oh the, the men have more fans or the men make more money or the men do this or that and so so now if you switch that around to the women's side we're just doing exactly what have been done to us yeah. for so long so it's really difficult it's really challenging my only my only the only thing I can do is try and go out and get more money um so I can feed both sides and I think that's that's just what we're trying to do and you know it's ch a challenge but it's unique and I guess we're unique f until anyone else does it so hopefully that will set us apart in a way as well speaking of that do you think you know all clubs should be asking commercial partners or investors or sponsors to equally invest in both the men's and women's side so when they come into the club it's a case of investing in both teams rather than just investing on one side. I, re I reckon clubs have to do it the way that they think is best. I think every club should be different. I, I, I actually don't like the idea that we will become cookie cutter copies of each other. Yeah. I hate it when, so for example, from time to time, the FA will kind of um, decide that they'll give us guidance or advice. One thing at the moment that's being talked about is ticket prices we are the most expensive club to go and watch women's football in the country. We're aware of that. Don't, don't tell me how to deal with my prices because I need to make money, right? My season tickets are about three times the season ticket price for Manchester United, but I can't live unless I have. And, and also, by the way, it's great value for crying out loud. I think 30 or 40 pounds for a season ticket is criminal in women's football. That's another question. That's maybe <laughs> time. Oh, I said I might get heated in this. <laughs> no, that is something we've talked about, though, like putting value on the game and where you you draw the line at kind of it being an affordable thing to come and view, right? But at the same time, when you've got 
you know, kids for a quid or whatever that might be, that's where you see attendance drop-offs. And then you're relying on good weather because if there's not good weather, the person who paid a pound is like, ugh, yeah. I'm not that invested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that is definitely a, a worthwhile conversation to be had. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the future, we're going to see sort of more revenues being generated by, you know, transfers, player transfers. Uh, I've already seen some very record moves in the last six months. You know, Walsh has moved to, to Barca, three, £350,000. Uh, and most recently, allegedly, uh, Beth England to Spurs for 250 k I mean, we're a little bit off that in the championship. I've not seen those kind of figures banded about yet, but I think that that might be coming. But is that something you expect to be happening sort of more and more throughout the WSL and the championship? Is that part of your, you know, revenue stream or sort of thoughts about that sort of in terms of a five, 10 year plan maybe? Yeah, so I think um, I think that this is a really interesting part of, um, th- this is this is crucial to how we understand the future of women's football in this country. Um, and I think that this is one of the areas where we'll make or break the game in this country. And the reason for that is that ultimately the Women's Super League should want to sell their players, including to the championship. And the championship should have the resources and the money to be able to buy championship player, uh, Super League players, whether they're towards the end of their career or whether they're uh, you know, young players that are maybe not going to make it into that team. The Super League teams don't want to give those players away for free, and that which is kind of what's happening at the moment. They want the championship to buy them. Now the problem is that championship clubs can't afford to buy those players. We're just not at this at that at that financial level. And the the challenge with this is that the Super League clubs are worried that the championship is hold, are holding them back in terms of progress. You know, so we have a 
a distribution deal where the championship gets some money out of all the Super League deals and vice versa. Um, now, I think that if that that the distribution isn't evened up, we'll, we won't grow together. The Super League will continue to expand and grow and, and uh, rely on the men's side of the club for their revenue. And we'll have created a gap between the two leagues. And then we'll never be able to buy those players. And it's the same with the with youth players, the players that you get on loan from a Super League club. Um, at the moment, you know, championship clubs can more or less scrape together the wages to cover a loan player. Um, but ultimately, we want to be buying those loan players. But we can't do that on the current finances. And And this means, this is the crucial thing. The Super League and the championship clubs, and I'd argue tier three as well, have to be thinking about women's football as an ecosystem. What can the championship do so that WSL thrives? But crucially, what is the WSL doing to make sure that the championship thrives? Because I think that ultimately competitiveness, which I think was the other part of the Deloitte recommendations, competitiveness is what makes a product exciting. If if we start to see the league separate, we're not going to have that competitive either competitiveness either within the league or across the leagues. Um, and ideally what you want is a super league and the championship overlapping in terms of the revenue, in terms of the finances, so that whoever goes up can compete and whoever comes down is going to be challenged. But the more that that's stretched, the more that you're going to have two separate leagues, less competitiveness, less interest, because you know kind of who's going to win every game. We have to think like an ecosystem. Uh, and I'm a little bit worried that that that's not going to happen. The more that we separate, the more that we want to create separate deals, the more that there's, uh, the more the sponsors come in and only want to look at Super League clubs and the more that we only put Super League clubs on TV and don't don't even put the championship title race on TV. Do you know, there's, I think the more that we kind of separate them, the more we'll just have this very, very small league where no one else can, anyone who gets promoted is not going to survive um, and anyone who comes down will go straight back up because they've just got so much more money there's that fear that we're just mirroring the men's game and we're at a point like I know we're all invested in the game and have been invested in it for a long time but we're still young and there's still opportunity to shape how we do these things well you know it doesn't feel like there's a lot of time left to shape the opportunity of the, or shape the way that we do this um but there is still time and I wholeheartedly agree in terms of um splitting it more evenly because there is so much talent in the in the tiers below the WSL and that should be we should be growing that and growing English football that way I would even argue that it shouldn't even be even between the WSL and the championship and this is usually where I get laughed out of the room which is that more should go to the championship than the WSL not in this podcast <laughs> we're all for it but that way I'm being serious though like if there was more that went into the champion if you're in the WSL you get on TV you can get your big sponsors because you're going to be on Sky Sports and BBC every week um, the championship we're not right so if you overinvest in the championship, we're not going to suddenly be bigger or better than Chelsea. It's just that's just not the case. But you create the environment where we're actually thinking women's football. This is not happening in men's football, for example. But in women's football, we can think differently and think like an ecosystem and think about equity and about how you keep on supporting um, the, the overall financial health. It's not going to happen because the top clubs want to win the Champions League and they want all the resources they can to win the Champions League. Um, but I just at the moment obviously I want them to win the Champions League as well but I don't want them to run away with the league so it doesn't become so it's no longer interesting in, in this country Is there a model you've seen whether it be in football or other sports that we could draw from 
I don't know much about it, but I've been astounded by some of the figures coming out of Mexico. So there, the league, the leagues are like hugely watched, um, hugely supported, um, more than the NWSL is in the US. So what's what's going on in Mexico? I know that they're on TV because I happened to be in Costa Rica earlier this year and everywhere on the TV was like Mexican TV and it was women's football everywhere. And I was in Costa Rica, wow. Mexico. Um, so there's something happening in, in Mexico that I think we should be drawing from. Um, okay, there's the other thing, but this gets really geeky, <laughs> <laughs> which is around the, the overall governance of our game and looking at FIFA. Um, I think it's... So, you know, at the moment with FIFA, every every country has a, the same vote. So it doesn't matter if you're England or um, Vanuatu, you get the same vote. And there's this really interesting concept, I think is in badminton, where you get different levels of votes. Everyone gets the vote, obviously, because you're a nation that takes part in badminton. Um, if you are, if you have a number of elite players in the world rankings, you get another point, you get another kind of vote. If you are growing the game fast, you get another vote. So that doesn't penalize Vanuatu. If Vanuatu suddenly go for like, you know, increase their numbers by 500%, they get another vote. Um, and there's one other characteristic. I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's it's like maybe the overall numbers or something like that. And I just thought it was fascinating that there you have a voting system. So the people are actually governing the whole game. And um, by the way, if there's any badminton, aficionados here i might have got all of this totally <laughs> lovely disclaimer it's a great concept right but you're actually building a game you're looking out for you're you're supporting the countries that are really investing into the pro you're supporting the countries that are trying to grow and you're supporting the countries that have a large number of of and maybe it's even a percentage of the population as opposed to gross numbers so you, you know it's not china over england for example and i just thought wow there's there's a sport there that's trying to figure out what are they trying to achieve they're trying to achieve great badminton um, lots of people playing and lots of people improving. And I think that there's something in there for us at, in, in football. Um, it's harder to maybe, it's harder to maybe influence in that space. And now I'll get sent lots of badminton corruption scandals, I'm sure. But there's still something <laughs> in there. 100%. I mean, for any badminton fans, uh, please do tweet us, uh, message <laughs> us, DM us, uh, and let us know your thoughts on on this structure. Because this is the first time that I've ever heard anything like that. So, get into um, it now. There's a lot of... Maybe lot of, um, made up. <laughs> the concept is great whoever's doing it <laughs> it's it's a good idea I think um, just touch on the points we were sort of t talking about previously about the disparity between the WSL and the championship I mean obviously our league is very competitive only one's going up and it can make it it makes it competitive but also makes it not competitive because I think you get to sort of halfway through the season you realise that there are there's probably a team two teams that are going to make it to WSL and everyone's kind of fighting for the kind of midsection and, and hopefully avoiding relegation but I think obviously for you know clubs like yourself uh, for London City Coventry maybe not this year depending on how their sort of future fares um, you know going into the WSL obviously requires a different level of FA licence you've got to meet certain criteria so you know is there a fear that actually you sort of your performances are going in the right places but actually the club um in, in the, the clubs in the championship aren't ready financially and infrastructure wise to actually make that that jump up into the WSL I mean what what are some of the sort of biggest licensing requirements that you'd be thinking oh this is a big challenge for us yeah um so so some of the biggest license challenges the number one is obviously that all the players have to be full-time and paid full-time wages so that's probably the biggest financial jump um Obviously, you don't need infrastructure for that per se. Um, there's a little bit more staffing requirements, although most of the championship clubs are moving towards having 
uh, full, full-time rounded staffing units anyway. And then it comes down to infrastructure. So you have to have a, a ground that meets certain requirements. I think that London City struggle in a couple of them at Dartford. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but you know, there's things like TV gantries, like I said. Um, you need to have uh, a proper TV gantry, and I'm, I think that Dartford might struggle there unless they can build one. Um, and the uh, oh, and the other major thing is like this an academy. So you have to have uh, an academy structure. Um, now, most championship clubs don't actually have a formal academy in the way that a tier one license requires it. And so, and that's a huge investment. You're looking at, you know, a, a couple hundred thousand a year just for the, just for the, having the staffing and being able to travel to games and all the rest of it for, for youth as well. So you need like an education partner and all the rest of it. So I think that one is one of the big pieces, which is again, what you don't want is you don't want a team to get promoted, do all that hard work, get promoted and then either not be able to take up their place. And I'm really fascinated as to whether that might happen in the next like season or two, whether there might be a team that just can't do it. Um, you don't want that to happen and you don't want them to go all the way up, have built this academy and then come back down. And yes, there are parachute payments for about a year or so. Um, so those young girls are not disadvantaged. They don't just, you know, close up the academy, but it's, it's a struggle, which is why I honestly think that we have to think more like an ecosystem. Um, and so a lot of the resources that have traditionally just gone into the WSL clubs for academies, that should have been going much further down the, the pyramid for a long time, I think. These kind of reports, just to kind of wrap up, do you find these reports useful? Are they kind of more ammunition to what you've been saying or are they not clear enough? You know, I, I feel like with the Deloitte one, they did kind of have a disclaimer saying they haven't being able to fully verify all of the information that's come through from the clubs. Um, and obviously we're talking revenue versus profit. Does that kind of skew the conversation when obviously bigger clubs are going to have more revenue because they've got an awful lot more money just being pumped into them? So, yeah, are they helpful? Does it drive the conversation forward? Um, yeah, I think it, I think they are helpful because data is so hard to come by. Again, at, at Lewis, we try to, giving away all my secrets now, Chloe, um, we try and benchmark <laughs> take notes <laughs> everything so we're constantly every time we hear a whiff or a rumor or someone casually drops I don't know how much a, a sponsorship was or how much a, um, the playing budget was but we're trying to take notes because no one talks about it we're quite open when people come and ask us questions we're usually open hoping that there'll be some reciprocity and that isn't always um, but this data doesn't exist and I feel like come on guys we're all in this together we're all trying to grow the game I think maybe we could be a little bit more open with each other um, and also publicly the accountability piece, you know, I think is really important that we understand the numbers that other people are dealing with. Um, just just because I think it's the, the, the easiest way of growing. Um, you know, you need trust for that, obviously, as well. And we're all competitors. That's the really weird thing about all of this. We want each other to survive and thrive and grow, but we also want to beat each other on the pit. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of curious thing about this whole thing however Lewis doesn't exist if Crystal Palace doesn't exist like love that <laughs> but it's true right what's what's the point you know I can't we can't play games against no one so we all have to kind of thrive we all need to survive love this this is great I'm gonna be feeding this straight back to the Crystal Palace team um <laughs> no I've got to say like I think the the battle the sort of um the yeah the battle between uh Lewis and, and Crystal Palace I absolutely love I mean they're a team that we have a lot of respect for and I feel like you guys have got it's a it's a very mutually respective thing isn't it we come down we know we're gonna have a battle we know the drums are gonna be there um yeah it's um 
It's, it's, been a, it's been a huge place in my heart, actually, Lewis. Um, yeah, but I think yeah, in terms of the sort of competitiveness, I suppose, obviously you guys have got, you know, the FA Cup uh, fourth round. Uh, you're taking on Ipswich this weekend. Um, where do you think the FA Cup fits into all of this for Lewis and how important do you think it is for not only the exposure of yourselves, but also the exposure of, you know, lower, lower league teams as well, not only in the championship, but mm. in the national leagues as well? Yeah, I think uh, look, the FA Cup is just beautiful, isn't it? I just, I mean, I, I remember playing as a teenager on the Isle of Wight and know when you had the FA Cup game coming up, you usually lost, but you know, you still felt part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the FA Cup is amazing, right? So um, I'm really excited about this game. Just very quickly on the financial sense, obviously for three, four years, Lewis has been campaigning for um, equal FA Cup prize money. We made a huge leap forward last year where the prize pot was increased about sevenfold. So now there's actual money to be won, whereas before you, you'd almost cover your, your coach and that was about it. Um, so I'm really pleased that that's happened. It does. It's not going to stop us from campaigning for equal FA Cup prize money because we're still a long way off because the men's prize pot was also increased. But anyway, um, <laughs> so but then when it comes to the FA Cup, I mean, it really is. It's, it's where it's where stories are made. I, I can't help it. I still dream about the idea of getting to Wembley with Lewis. Like that's it's just part of it. I'm, I'm sure you've felt the same, Chloe. That you know that it's it, it could be our year every year. Every year it could be your year and it's the hope that kills you. Um, it's really beautiful as a, as a competition. I love playing the... the uh, no, actually, I hate playing the teams that are... I much prefer being an underdog. So in general, mm. Lewis feels like in general kind of underdogs. Um, and so when we play actual underdogs, we're kind of like taken by surprise a little bit because it's kind of their FA Cup final. Um, but it's what, what a great competition. It's just, yeah, it's just the best. Maybe we'll get to Wembley. And speaking of stories, wasn't Ipswich involved in that game against Southampton fifth round last year? I think it was. I was at it. And the goal Southampton's keeper. goalkeeper scored in like the 91st minute and then they lost on penalties. I think it was thing? that one, yeah. Like talk about <laughs> stories. Well, hopefully, you know, this will be you this year. Just goalkeeper, he, you strategy, know, send them yeah. up. She's great. Send the goalkeeper up and, you know, <laughs> get a last minute goal. <laughs> Well, you heard it here first. Uh, if you get through to the next round, Maggie Murphy wants either one of the big dogs, the Arsenals, the Chelsea's. Um, at home, and at C- home. C- Man City, Man City. At home, at home. Or Man City. I know you don't want Man City. That's a trek They've never played Man City. Isn't yeah, that right? but that's a big... It's, it's the one club we... No, no, no. Chloe, a trek for them. They have to come down here. They have to come I would to the love to pan. see <laughs> Man be City at the dripping pan. I would 100% be at that game. I'd be in one of the fan huts. I would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a pie and some loaded fries, 100%. I'd, I'd be banging my own drum. <laughs> anyway, on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Maggie. Really appreciate your insights. Really appreciate um, you giving up your time and sort of giving us a, a bit more insight into, into how things are going at, at Lewis, the future, the ambitions and, and the game generally. Uh, it's been really helpful for both, both ourselves and also hopefully for the listeners who have been tuning in. Um, we'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, if you have any questions about today's show, please tweet us. Uh, Rach is at Girls at the Ball. I am at Morgie underscore 89. We will see you next week. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.